down in Petersburg, everything's fine. All lamb cats is drinking that wine, drinking that mess is their delight. When you get the wrong, start singing all night, drinking wine's for the you to drink wine. Wine's for the you to drink wine. Wine's for the you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Drinking that mess is their delight. When it gets a rump, start fighting all night. Knock down windows and tan down door. Drinking half gowns and calling for more. Drinking wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hi! Hello, and welcome to Tasting Anarchy. I'm Mason Joseph, joined as always by my co host, Jacob Lindsay. Yeah. Now, some of you may be noticing a volume or style sound quality change. We uh, have a bit of a change in the format. We have uh, someone who's moved to Texas, yeah. um, and now we are trying to cobble our way together with our ancient technology to uh, record the podcast for you guys. So yeah. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to figure this out over the next week. I probably should have worked on it yesterday. and just did, It didn't occur to me that it would be difficult to record Skype. For some reason, I'm not. For some reason, I just kind of thought it would be well. You just plug it in and then tell it to record Skype. Yeah. And and apparently it's not that easy, but <laughs> it's easier on a Mac. So. Well, there's just built-in recording stuff. I don't know right. how easy it is. I mean, we've done a minute and it's already a two megabyte file. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> it right. might might be like a gigabyte thing and then just insane. Yeah. But. Yeah. Then we'll have to compress it or something. Yeah. Make some changes. We'll we'll figure it out. Yeah. So what are you drinking? Uh, well, actually, I'm drinking, um, have you seen those commercials for Josh's Winery where he's like, uh, when I was a kid, I grew up in a small town in New York, and uh, there was one nice restaurant, and I peeked through the windows, and I was like, how can I be a part of this world? And so I went to the owner, and I said, I know all these famous restaurants and stuff like that, and he knew I was lying, so he gave me a book on wine, and that's what started my long love affair of wine. And uh. So there's these, it's these commercials on Hulu and, mm. and, and, and other places, I'm sure. Um, and just for some reason, every time I see them, I'm always like, oh, I want to try that. Uh, and and I, because, you know, try to, to try to avoid the snobbery of, uh, of thinking that if a wine needs a commercial, it's a bad wine. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't say this is a bad wine. It's definitely not a great wine. <laughs> but that's not really the one that I want to talk about. That's the one I'm drinking right now. But I had a really good one earlier this week mm-hmm. that I just kind of wanted to put out there because it's on sale at Total Wine. Right now it's called Truth and Valor. It's a, uh-huh. of course, Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, a, and I can, I'll, I'll go ahead and do like a quick reading of the tasting notes. It's uh, Cabernet Sauvignon boasts, uh, boasts nuanced aromas and dark fruits, toasty oak, and pencil shavings. Uh, the pencil shavings doesn't sound good, but it surprisingly is good. And there is a toasty oak flavor, which we've learned might indicate new oak barrels, so it might be a combination of new oak and the old oak. It doesn't say. Um, then to continue the tasting pro- the tasting notes, it's a plump texture, uh, delivers finely integrated flavors of black cherry, uh, cassis. I don't know what a, a cassis is. C a s s i s cassis. Cassis. Yeah, I'm not sure what that is. Cassis. Plum, mint, and dark chocolate. Smooth, polished tannins uh, bring graceful structure to the finish. And I think that was a very good wine, particularly since it's on sale at Total Wine. Mm. It's like $9 a bottle right now. Ooh. So very inexpensive. The Josh's Winery one or Josh's Wine is uh, on sale at CVS of all places. And that's, <laughs> I saw it, I saw it when I was walking through there with my wife and 
I was like, oh, I wanted to try this, and it's like nine dollars, or no, I think it was I think it was twelve, it was twelve mm-hmm. bucks, um, and so. I don't know if that's a good deal for this particular wine. I, I probably won't get it again, but I don't think it's terrible. It's just not. I would just much rather, if I'm going to spend 12 bucks, I'd rather spend a couple of dollars more and get something a little better or go back to Total Wine and get this Truth and Valor because I thought it was especially good. Yeah, so the Josh's wine that you're drinking. Basically, kind of the sub... Oh, no, yeah. no, go ahead. no, go ahead. What's that? I said, go ahead. I, I just was saying that uh, I'm not sure how we're doing this, but... That's, I'm just going to give like a quick summary of what I'm drinking mm-hmm. or what what I've drunk what I've had this week. And yeah. So those are that's what it is basically. So with the Joshes, is it one specific wine type that they do, or is it a winery? Uh, it's a well, it's a winery. Um, this one, the Joshes one. Hang on, just a second. I'm going to sure. reach for the bottle because it's on the yep. other side. Hold on. I thought I could reach it, but my headphones were making it difficult. Uh, so this is this particular one is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It's just Josh. It's from uh, Josh Sellers Winery, mm. um, and I guess this one is named after his dad, uh, or his dad's name is Joseph, but his friends called him Josh. That's that's what it says. Um, they do they do make several wines. This one seems to be the one they're promoting on TV or on Hulu a bunch. Mm-hmm. And since I like cabs, that's why I picked it up. But okay. overall, it's, it's I, I would say it's not wonderful. Gotcha. It's no, uh, it's no uh, peanut. No, not at all. <laughs> well, nothing is. So, <laughs> which, which, by the way, is way cheaper. Not way cheaper. It's about ten dollars a bottle cheaper here than in Virginia because of the alcohol tax structure. Did you look at the specific one? Yeah, the okay. one that we had. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like even the ta- even the tax structure here, like worth it. So, I am stepping outside of my comfort zone and. Um, you know, what kind of drove some of the wine obsession that I've had is that, that mystery bottle of wine that Ashley and I bought on sale at Kroger that one time, where we were, oh, like, yeah. trying still, like, we think we have it, but we think we have a different, um, we have a different uh, year, so we know it's a Virginia wine, pretty sure it's from the Williamsburg Winery, their governor's wine, uh, Riesling, uh, semi-sweet, really good. So, Kroger has all of their wine on sale again. Well, not all of the wine. They have, like, the discount wine. And, you know me, some, something looks a little interesting, a little different. I, I usually want to try it in some way. So I've always been interested in those wines that are, like, dipped in wax or something like that. So I roll over to the discount area this Saturday, and I'm looking at the wines, kind of thinking, I don't have a wine, I need to get a wine for the show. Like, you know... We're not really sure if we're going to do both do wines each week or if we're just going to talk about what's going on, you know, how we're yeah. going to do it. So I see one of those capped wines, and it's a, let me uh, snag the bottle real quick. It started off as a $53 bottle of wine, yeah, and it was marked down to $29.97. So it is the Bella Gloss, or, or Bella Gloss, it's B-E-L-L-E space G-L-O-S, Dairyman Pinot uh, Pinot Noir, so uh, their website listed for fifty five. So I got it for you know like twenty five dollars, not twenty five dollars off, nearly twenty five dollars off. Um, yeah. So I'm not really familiar with Pinot Noir, but you know, yeah. being a, a more expensive bottle of wine, they've got intense tasting notes. They've got all this cool information about the wine. So yeah. soil, right loam, climate, cool fog, sunny. Growing season, October 19th through October 6, uh, 6, 2016. Average high temperature, 75.7 degrees. 
elevation 75 to 80 feet, release date 2007, or uh, 2017. Can't, can't go back in time. So they've got like all these cool things like uh, aged in 100% uh, French oak, 60% new, 40% seasoned. So I mean they're like tell for up to nine months. After the racking the wine, once uh, melatonin fermentation was complete, we reacted a second time before making the final blend. So it's 100% Pinot, but you know, like they blend from it. So tasting notes, dark ruby, red in color. And I can't tell because I'm in the dark because I forgot yeah. to turn on the light like an idiot. <laughs> so uh, ruby red in color with satisfying aroma of boysenberry, dark cherry, uh, mulberry, along with delicate hints of baking spice, dill, which you know I don't like dill, cola, I can see the cola, nutmeg, and vanilla. On the palate, bold flavors of cranberry, ripe plum, cherry, super ripe strawberry are uplifted by gentle notes of cocoa powder and sweet fig for uh, sweet fig for a generous and silky mouthfeel. Now, definitely a super silky mouthfeel. This tremendously complex and broad-shouldered wine finishes with grace. I don't that agree. Sounds pretty good. I don't agree with most of that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I I think my palate is a little out at the moment, and I just get weird flavor. And I don't know if it's Pinot Noir, because I'm, I'm not super familiar with the wine varietal, uh -huh. but I have been drinking a little more reds recently. Um, you know, things we've talked about off air, and I don't have any of the notes in front of me in regard to them. But, yeah. like, it definitely has the complexity and taste and mouthfeel of a $50 bottle of wine. But it's not a $50 bottle of wine where I'd go back. <laughs> it's kind of like, so far, it, it's an interesting experience, but I'm not really sure what I'm tasting, and I'm not really sure if what I'm drinking is good. But, like, I didn't, like, I have a, um, a slightly, not as good as your aerator, but I have a cheap aerator now for reds. Yeah. So, like, I'm interested in trying to open up the wine more, and they talk about, like, with, you know, longer sitting, it's gonna have sediment, so you need to decant it. Like, it's pretty interesting, yeah. like, and I mean, like, I'll, I'll send you the notes, because we're doing this via Skype now, so we can kind of text in the chat, right. right, during the show. Like, the bunch of tasting notes, I mean, it's just a really interesting thing, so, um, but what I really like is this is out of the Russian River Valley in Sonoma oh. County. Yeah. So, Russian River, there are some, there's a really good brewery out of Russian River. So, yeah. It's just kind of, like, interesting to see that, like, and that's kind of why I bought it. I was like, oh, it's, like, Russian River, and, you know, me, it's a perceived deal. I'm going to buy it. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I have no idea of economic calculation <laughs> right. after all this right. time. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, it's a deal. No, it's not a deal, you idiot. <laughs> like, that's just the price now. But, um, and it's, like, 14%, 14.9 or something. Like, it's weird. The tasting notes don't really give the alcohol, but the back of the bottle did. Um, okay. And... It's like fourteen percent, and it doesn't really taste that way. Huh? It doesn't taste very alcoholic, is what you're saying? No, not at all. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, fourteen percent. I guess because we talked about this, it can be up or down one percent. But I, 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 I don't. Know. I, I've been thinking about that too lately, or a little bit, is like the alcohol content because like sometimes it will taste very alcoholic, and sometimes it won't, even mm -hmm. if they have the same list alcohol uh, ABV um, like that. Like the one that I was saying, the Truth and Valor cap, that's 13.9%. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, not particularly alcoholic. And it seems to me like the ones that are slightly lower quality, if they have a high alcohol, do have more of an alcohol flavor. Whereas maybe 
being a little bit more expensive wine, it kind of complements other flavors, and that makes it less, like, strikingly alcoholic. Yeah, this is 14.3, so it could be as low as 13.3, presumably in 15.3. But, okay. I, like, even with the Pina, though, like, that was the most complex wine I've ever had. Yeah. But you could, like, when you drew air across it, you could taste the alcohol. Right. Like, this, and I might not be doing it, because I'm still, you know, as we've discussed... We're still trying to find the right format for recording the show, but yeah. we're also trying to find the right format for just physically recording the show. Like, where is the best place in our respective environments now that we don't have your kitchen table? Right, exactly. So I thought I was going to record in the closet in the spare bedroom in my house, and I'm in the spare bedroom, but, like, I'm right on the bathroom. Like, I'm right on the wall. So I'm trying not to be too loud because the door we have isn't, like, a solid wood door like the rest of the house. It's actually, for some reason, glass panels. <laughs> Right. right. <laughs> I don't understand the people who own the house before me. <laughs> Some of the choices they made are so dumb. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. But you know what? But I think you're right. Because I, I, one of the things about this recording, this may be kind of boring to the listeners, but you're going to hear it anyways if you're listening. Uh, and that is like that our new apartment has 14 foot ceilings. Mm-hmm. And we don't really have anything in it yet, so it's very echoey. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's going to come across in the recording or not. To be uh, to to tell you ahead of time, yeah, like you sound better than most of the phone calls I make. Oh, okay. And well. like the so far for me, the sound quality has been awesome. Good. And okay. Like, not a lot well, of echo. <laughs> at least for you and me. <laughs> yeah. Like not not a lot of echo. There's not a lot of processing noise. Like good. so far, it's like I'm in the room with you. Oh, all right. Well, good. Which good is fun. very very nostalgic for me. Yeah. As, <laughs> as 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 we'll discuss outside of the call, outside of the show, because it doesn't really pertain to the show. Yeah. I was like, oh, like I really, it, it, not that I didn't know I was going to miss you. Right. But the pure change that it meant to my life outside of work. Right. I was like, oh, I'm seeing that now. Damn it. <laughs> right. It, it's, it, it, is, it is strange. Like, so today, or uh, Victoria went to a, interestingly enough, because she's an anarchist also, went to a conservative women's leadership conference mm-hmm. that was the last three days. So she was gone for the last three days. And by gone, I mean, she was a 20 minute drive away at a hotel where all the, all the speakers were. And there's actually a lot of speakers. I would have been very interested in seeing, you know, Ben Shapiro was there oh, and wow. uh, Jordan Peterson was there. And um, I'm never going to say her name, right. But it's like, it's like, I'm going to, actually, I'm always going to say Anita. Cause it's not Anita. It's something else, but Anita Oakenford, who's like a, a, a second amendment, uh, carry on campus rights person who mm-hmm. I think is very interesting. She she is kind of right wing Republicany, but um, I I, th- I do like her argument for um, carry on campus for women in particular is, and I've always thought this was true is that, you know guns are the great equalizer in a lot of ways is that there there are a lot of women I'm sure who could beat me up, but I'm also six five two hundred pounds. There's also a lot of women who couldn't beat me up, and there's rapists who are my size. Well, that's the, that's the thing is like it it doesn't necessarily you don't have to be just like you dominatingly so much larger like I'm not in particularly good shape but I'm not like I have incredibly strong forearms at this point like I don't understand the mechanics of tacking somebody in that way like how you like I don't want to go into that sort of concept but like you know it's so disturbingly weird and disgusting of a concept to me I, I can't fathom like, how it happens, like, how right. you control somebody that way, because, like, I, I just don't get it. But you know, th- that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Like, 
I'm still stronger than like thirty percent of women at least. Yeah. It, and well, like, even yeah, women that are these taller statistics than me. too is that like the, the the physical strength difference to men and women is something like sixty percent. So like sixty yeah. percent of women are going to be weaker than the average man. And but then there be, are there are women who are very strong. Yeah, so. I'd I'd be very close to the average man. Yeah, and and I. I would say probably strength-wise, I'm probably about average. Like I think just my size makes gives me a lot of like advantages. But um, well, I think you're you know, anyways, I think you're beyond the average guy in strength. The, her thing is that like look if if you if you know the Me Too people are really concerned about women getting raped, then they would want women to be armed. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's a very good argument. And, <laughs> and and the way she puts it is much more eloquent eloquent than the way I do. But well, I don't she's think got, it needs to be, but she it is. definitely is. What's that? I said I don't even think it needs to be put more eloquently, but I'm sure it is. Yeah, well, she, the way that she puts it, it is she comes because she also used to be kind of a left wing person. Mm-hmm. She puts it in a way that is, I think, attractive to people who would otherwise be opposed to gun rights. Yeah. So, or you know, from yours or my perspective, property rights in general. So, uh, like, who cares if it's guns or if it's you know toothpicks or whatever? It doesn't matter. I have a right to own what I want to own. Yeah, but, I mean. Um, <laughs> Exactly. If it's but, not infringing this upon the rights or no. This item in particular, I think, is a good thing. If if they are, if we are to believe what these people are saying, and that campus rape culture is so prominent, well, shouldn't all women be armed then on campus? Mm-hmm. I would say yes, of course they should be. But uh, but anyway, she was there, and then um, Candace Owens, who I don't know if you know her, she's Red Pill Black was was her thing on YouTube. She's a she's a black woman who is like a Trump supporter. Yeah, and, yeah. She uh, she recently was like so. Kyan or Kanye? Kyan. Kyan. Yeah. That's uh, your rapper name. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's your rapper name. Yeah. <laughs> you use way more of that in cooking than I do. But um, so Kanye West uh, was apparently posting a bunch of her stuff and kind of being like, yeah. you know, like you keep voting for the same guy and your life is worse. Why are you voting Democrat? Like, I'm not telling you to vote Republican. Right. But make America well, great. <laughs> there, there does, there seems to be this, uh, and then there was actually a lot of black speakers at this conservative women's conference. There, there seems to be kind of a, and it's something that I think you and I would probably like to get away from in general is that is that for people to stop thinking of themselves in the in a group. I mean, you and I do it, but uh, we, I think that for libertarians, there is a. A very great sense of individualism. So, mm-hmm. it, and this is, I think, one of the reasons why we're very unsuccessful in politics is because uh, there is not a group dynamic, or not a strong group dynamic like there is in the Republican or conservative movements and like liberal movements or left wing liberal, like not classical liberal, but um, that, or, or, you know, like the Democrats, they have these demographic groups and that they act and think in groups. And then the right has this as well, where like, they're white males or they're white females or whatever the deal is, they have these demographic groups, whereas libertarians get together and they're like, I only care about, I think they do care about other people, but they're like, well, it's so strongly individual and it's so well, um, it's, reactionary against other people like imposing themselves, you know? Uh, yeah, I think a lot of it's like, I'm only here because like I believe in drinking like unpasteurized milk. Yeah, yeah, it's that kind of thing. Yeah, right. that, that's the thing is like this is something that Jason Stapleton has talked about a little bit is kind of the like and he kind of shits on libertarians for this and I don't necessarily disagree with his concept if you're looking to vote and thinking right. voting is actually going to do something whereas right. like I enjoy writing in funny names yeah and I don't think it's a huge waste of my time to and amuse myself that way um, right. I don't 
think like I'm going to be the deciding vote. Yeah. So Jason Stapleton is kind of like, you know, libertarians are very individualistic and that's not necessarily a bad thing and he's not crapping on, you know, libertarians and anarchists and sort of those people for being liber- like being so isolated, you know. Right. So separatist, but there's so much where it's like like we agree with Jason on 85% of the stuff. Right. And why do we have to put up these divisional walls? And it right. like he does a much better job in the episode of describing like the the transition between the two thoughts where it's you and I are like, you know, we there are very few issues that we don't think about the property rights and then go from there. Right. And we can really stand with somebody who's like, I want to drink raw milk and you and I are like, Well, I don't particularly care. Yeah. Like I'm just gonna drink milk. Like, whatever. But we're yeah. we're totally with you on like being able to choose to drink free like raw milk. Right. And, exactly. And Jason's kind of point is, like, don't immediately step up, like, with the libertarian. Like, a lot of times, you know, like, in us, it's like, well, you know, that all sounds good, but you know it's not going to work. Like, don't shoot ourselves in the foot, like, kind of, in Larry Sharp, like, in his interview with Larry Sharp, it comes out a lot, where it's like, look, Larry Sharp is an anarchist. Yeah. He's not running because he wants to rule your life. He's running to try to break the mold. Yeah, and, the ball forward a little bit. And he yeah. has such a... And, you know, I don't think Larry Sharp is an idiot, and I don't think Larry Sharp is a liar. Right. If Larry Sharp believes he has the chance that he does to really win, that's amazing. Like, and he is the, he's the guy, like, if Jason Stapleton, you, or my dad became president, and Larry Sharp, like, they're the, they're kind of the group of people where I'm like, they're going to do what they said. Now, is my dad going to, like, share the same political beliefs that I do? No. Would you, like, even step foot near that platform? No, I don't think you would. No. Jason would, and Larry would, but, like, you know, I don't, like, I'm looking up, like, I really would believe in the future Larry would push, and I believe in the majority of the future that Jason would push. I think Larry would be much less, like, oh, this is what the Constitution says, so we're going to follow it, whereas Jason's going to follow it. You know, he's, he would be bound more by the rules, whereas I think Larry would be like, well, everyone else broke these rules, so why don't we break these for a good reason? You know, right. like yeah. who gives a crap? <laughs> like, right. And but I think I think I like and, and you know Jason talks about this too. And, and there's there's some other libertarians from like the you know Freedom and Prosperity Institute or whatever who talk about this too. And I, I can't remember his name, but he was on uh, the Dave Rubin report, and mm-hmm. uh, he was um, talking about how there's like different type of, of uh, libertarians, and one of the types is a destinationalist, and then the other one is incrementalist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I would say. I'm definitely a destinationalist, but uh, I'm willing to work with incrementalists just because, you know, it's as it, long, you know, and, and this is, I know Jason didn't come up with this, this uh, concept, but like the, if we're on train or whatever going toward freedom, you know, there's stops along the way, get off when you want to get off, but I'm willing to share a ride with you until you get off. Yeah. And, and even then I'm not going to, I'm not going to be mad that you got off. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. like we, like so for the first time we actually had Texas barbecue today. We went to a, a barbecue place and one of and Victoria made a friend at a uh, conservative women's thing, mm-hmm. and who lives up in D.C. Interestingly enough, but uh, <laughs> near D.C. Uh, and so we t- we went out to lunch with her to Texas barbecue. She was like, "Well, I'm in Texas. I want to try barbecue here." Mm-hmm. And so I was like, "Okay, well we haven't had it yet." And Victoria surprisingly really liked it because um, you know she likes things that are quietly light usually. Yes, but uh, but. While we were there, you know, it's, it was a political gathering or whatever, so we were talking about politics, and she was like, well, what, what are you? Are you, like, conservative? Because, you know, Victoria went to a conservative thing. I said, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a hardcore anarchist. Like, and she was like, well, anarchist, like, what? And I 
well, uh, I said, I said, well, I kind of like maybe like uh, I said, I, I can't, I don't know. Are you familiar with Rothbard or Ludwig von Mises or any of these types of people? And she wasn't, and and, that, and I don't expect her to. Uh, but she was familiar with like Dave Rubin and who's not an anarchist, but I think Dave Rubin's going in that direction. The more I listen to him, the more I think he's like, I don't, I don't think he has any arguments against libertarian anarchy or like right-wing libertarian anarchy. And I, I'm starting to say right-wing libertarian anarchy a little bit more now because we do have, uh, and I think this is one of the reasons why the Mises caucus is so important, is there is in the libertarian group or in the libertarian party a lot of left-wing anarchists coming in. Mm-hmm. Not, I don't. I don't really understand how. I don't understand how that's a, a thing. But uh, well, I think like I think you. I don't think you purposely don't consume his stuff. But like, and I'm not saying Scott Horton is a left wing, but like Scott does interact with the left wing. He and, does a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you hear a yeah. lot of them, and it, it there a lot of their stuff is still individualistic. It's like, look. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, like a really good left-wing anarchist, uh, and I've read a little bit of his stuff, but not a huge amount, but like uh, Noam Chomsky, mm-hmm. who is, uh, who is very left-wing, and, but his, like, his vision, I guess, would be, I wouldn't even say he, his vision is like the socialist route, because I think he knows that totalitarianism is just not going to end in anarchy, but like he is, he's kind of arrived at the conclusion that like, well, anarchy is the correct political position, Yeah, but uh but he's just comes from a completely different place. Well, and, and, and his vision of the anarchist world is not like Bob Murphy's chaos theory or something like mm-hmm. that. It's like his his vision of what it would be like is just so different than what I think it would be like. But I don't really I don't know if that's a sticking point. And, and that's why like I'm a little like lately I've been thinking about this a lot is that like I don't I I don't like one of the things that I think that Rogan talks about like Joe Rogan that I don't like is that he's he always talks about the UBI. And there are libertarians who support a UBI. I, I, I think they're very, very wrong on this. And I also think that infor- the enforcement of UBI is going to come with such a huge state apparatus that you cannot be an anarchist and support a UBI. Mm-hmm. And it's those types of things that come from the from like left libertarians where they're like, well, or like, you know, like bleedingheartlibertarians.org or .com, I can't remember what their thing is, where... <laughs> I like them. They've got, uh, I think his name Steve Horowitz is like their one of their big wigs, and he's a smart guy. I really like a lot of his stuff. Um, but this whole this whole left wing, a lot of the things that a lot of the things on their on their increment on their incremental path to me are things that are going to become entrenched in this very large state apparatus, and it's going to be very difficult to get rid of. You're not going to increment your way away from a UBI. You're going to what you're going to do is you're going to increment a UBI. And then also add a regular welfare state on top of that, you're going to end up having both. Well, and, so, like, my, my thought process on this is you're 100% correct, and I think Jason kind of has this point, too. Jason's Jason's point is, and Jason's, Jason's point is usually with the UBI, it's like, look, Milton Freeman was not a moron. And Milton Freeman was not, you know, yes, he was not, he did have his failings, and he wasn't, you know, he stuck with the Chicago school as opposed to being you know, Rothbard's best friend and right. what, you know, what he could have been. Yeah. I mean, we accept that. And, you know, he, he worked with Pinochet and, but that's the thing is like, actually, I don't think he did directly. I think it was just his acolytes or whatever. Yeah. But like he could have put the kibosh on that. Yeah. If he yeah. wanted to, like he could have really pointed out what Pinochet was doing, but there's a lot of things where Pinochet was doing, you know, it's, there's a lot of, well, left, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, there's a lot of left wing yeah, stuff yeah. against Pinochet, but neither here nor there. Yeah. So, but Jason's point is, like, the UBI, if you're going to have a welfare state, the UBI makes the most sense 
but I agree with the concept of you're not implementing a UBI and getting rid of Medicare. Like you're not getting you're not getting rid of one for the other. You're going to have both. And then like I didn't even think about the state apparatus to functionally do a UBI. Like it never occurred to me. And I think we talked about this on the show when Finland stopped its UBI. Right. And one of the people was like, "Well, we didn't have enough money." Right. It's like and that's always the answer. Like I'm sorry, you don't have any fucking money. Like, right. So, and so, like, my, my, my thought is, I don't think from an anarch, like, and this is the problem where, like, I'm not an incrementalist at all. I'm a right. go away, leave me alone. Right. Like, in all aspects of life, almost. Like, I'm very social, but, like, I don't, like, when people start talking about politics, it's like, look, I'm not going to bother. Like, yeah. you know, if somebody's like, oh, what do you think? It's like, well, I don't agree with that in any concept. So like, what do you mean? It's like, well, you're stealing. Like, what do you mean? It's like, I, I didn't agree to fund your decadent lifestyle. Yeah. Like, I don't expect you to fund my decadent lifestyle. But, so, I have a partial, so I have a partial thought pro- concept for us to discuss and think about. And we'll handle that in a second. But from the, the standpoint of, like, and I think this is kind of the, what's an incrementalist argument? And does the incrementalist argument work with anarchy? Right. If you're trying to work your way to freedom, maybe accepting the UBI makes sense because you're thinking these other things aren't going to happen. Right. Like I said, I've never thought about the state state apparatus that would be necessary to do a UBI because in my mind, you've already got the IRS. Why do you need right. more people? But it makes sense that they'd be like, oh, we need a million more employees to like right. measure and means test and whatever nonsense they're going to do. So that all makes sense to me. Now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Now, the UBI has always been poison to me. Like, it's never made sense. There's just functionally, it doesn't make sense. Even when Jason and others that like I listen to like talk about it, and they're kind of like, well, blah, 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 Milton Friedman. And I'm like, all right, his arguments make sense, but none of it makes sense because that's not what the government's going to do. That's, you're not getting rid of these one things. But... Right. Where the UBI kind of can make sense, and the welfare state can kind of make sense, is in the concept, and so Tom Tom Woods has had a bunch of podcasts recently that I haven't just been interested in. I'm sure right. that, you know, Tom, there have been a few things where, like, Tom plays old clips from stuff that he's recorded from when he was much younger that I don't particularly care for because the audio recording isn't so great. And, like, for a while, like, my, my the stereo in my car died. So I have been trying to listen to it just broadcast from my phone, like literally from the phone speaker. So if the audio quality is bad, there's I don't listen to it. So there have been a couple like that. But like Tom had this episode about talking with this guy who was talking about the coming robot apocalypse, as oh, people yeah. are saying. And that's the yeah, months because all everybody, a lot of people are worried about that, which I yeah. think is silly. But, yeah, well, uh, but, you, but you know, you and I, have, you and I have talked about that, and I yeah, because it's it's yeah. never. It's never been so, like it's never done what people say. Like there's never right. been a recorded instance of history where technology has come out and everyone is starved to death because things got better. <laughs> like yeah. So, but well, that's like actually we were, today. Uh, um, Ruben actually had you know do you know um, what's his name? Uh, hang on, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna look real quick. Well, so why why do you look that guy yeah, up? Yeah. But this this is the concept that I think we may want to choose to talk about. Or we may want to talk about maybe next week instead. If price deflation becomes so rampant with the idea of automation and right. you know, like the coming robot apocalypse of de- de- price deflation, 
it, life could become so cheap that welfare doesn't make sense. Right. Like, tri- like welfare, like the U.S. government welfare, not specifically welfare as in, like, rent payments that are stolen right. from you. Like, just pure, like, the welfare program doesn't make sense. And then Social Security doesn't make sense. And then, you know, Medicare doesn't make sense because everything has gone from being, you know, like, going into Panera and it's, like, $10 for a meal. You're, like, paying, you know, two bucks. That's a situation where the UBI does make doesn't make sense to you and me but it's a situation where an incrementalist could come out and be like look we are spending so much flipping money that doesn't you know in this deflated economy where everything has gotten so cheap why are we spending so much money trying to figure out all of these other things we can just give people straight out ten thousand dollars a year right right. or you know at that point if you know panera is two dollars and mcdonald's is 15 cents again you need to give people a thousand dollars for the year right and so, like, the mechanism could be this massive price deflation. And I think if what people are saying is true and the Fed has overplayed their book and they have no means to fight the next recession and it becomes a depression recession, you know, like yeah. a true event. But then what would take us out of it is artificial intelligence and things like that, where right. these, you know, like Google breaks up because it's not profitable or Tesla breaks up because it's not profitable and all of these crazy patents they've been sitting on right. come flying out and it's like oh you get a chance to play with these things and you're like okay i've made this program that correctly guesses your wine choice 99 percent of the time and then predictively analyzing all these terrible websites we've talked about suggests these wines in your price range up to you know millions of dollars you know the most expensive wine possible right right but i i think that's what's coming and that's where I think, like, we, we see an incrementalist perspective, and this is what I've, you know, I've always said, is there's going to be a certain point where, like, the government's going to be irrelevant, because... Right. Well, that's, you know, I think you and I share that opinion, is that there, it's just going to get to a point where, think, so the government, the bureaucracy of the government is so slow that at a certain point, pro- progress will be so fast that the government just can't keep up with it. So, like, you know, like, they were able to shut down Silk Road or well, when you've got silk roads popping up every 15 seconds and they're, and they're moving so quickly and they're not in physical locations anymore and they're distributed over hundreds of countries in the world, like or they're bouncing off the moon or something like that, you know, you never know what, what the future is going to bring. And it's just like nobody can respond to that. And this is, you know, one of the, I think it's a waste a lot of times, other than it's immoral, but like the just the concept of like it's a waste of money to try to stop drugs mm-hmm. and it's a waste because it's immoral but it's also a waste because you're never going to stop it yeah like that's the the thing that always kind of kind of so there's a there's a band i like called the mountain goats yeah and they have an album called all hail west texas mm-hmm. and since i've heard the album all hail west texas i have been obsessed with the area of west texas yeah it's humongous. <laughs> <laughs> it's humongous, but it's it's the beginning of the the Midwest. Like it's the beginning of that Midwest, the the desert that that area. South the Southwest. Yeah, the Southwest. Excuse yeah, me. Southwest. Yeah. But like, and you know, you, I've discussed this with you previously, and we've talked about it a little bit on the show. My wife and I are both really into the Southwest. Like we yeah. do really like that that physical geography and, and that kind of what that means. 
yeah, like the austere beauty kind of. Yeah. It's just it. It's so desolate, but it's also like if it, you know what's going on, there's so much life going on there. Yeah, and it's you know it's just it's super interesting. There, there's just so much there, and yeah. I wasn't a Western kid or anything like that when I was growing up. But in All Hail West Texas, there's a song about the high school running star who blows out his knee and gets popped for selling LSD to a cop. Right. And it's like the like, and it was like it, like William Staniforth Donahue, like you know, your grandfather came over the boat from Ireland and you destroyed your chance like by selling LSD to willing consumers. Right. Like, and, and that's what kills me is like. Yeah, I don't really think somebody should be smoking or injecting heroin or smoking crack or anything like that. Like, I don't, I don't think you need to do those things. But who am I to tell you you can't do those? And who am I to ruin? Like, if you're functional, like if you're like if, like if Tom Woods came out tomorrow and was like, yeah, this entire time I've been a heroin addict, right? <laughs> and, and it's like, unless Tom is lying about his life, he's like he takes wonderful care of his daughters, yeah, like. Michael Malice is not somebody who hangs around with a crack addict or a heroin right. addict. Like, Michael Malice would know if Thompson was on heroin. Like, he, that's something Michael Malice would pick up. And they do often spend a lot of time together when right. they're in the same physical, physical locality. There's no way, like, but, like, if it's true, like, Tom is an incredibly productive human being. Right. And, like, has impacted both of our lives in amazing ways. Yep. And, like, if he's a heroin addict, like... Is it worth destroying his five daughters and his wife's life to put him away for doing heroin? Yeah. Like, he's not out robbing the convenience store. Like, he's literally making money on the internet, providing you and me things that we want. Right. Like... Well, that's, you know, this is... Uh, you, know, you know Brian Johnson from Tell Him Steve, Dave? Yeah. Like, I mean, I wouldn't have... He was on pills for, like, two years or something during the show, and, like... And, and granted, he's... I think he was on welfare or something like that, but he, you know, uh, and, and he's and he's basically written, like written Kevin Smith's coattails. But like, I didn't know he was on pills the entire time. He was still funny. He was still, you know, none of his friends knew. And yeah. uh, you know, him and Walt spent tons of time together and all that sort of stuff. And the thing is, like, I'm glad he got off pills because it's better for his daughter. Or yeah. it's well, not really his daughter; it's his sister's daughter. But either she, way, he takes care yeah. of her. But. Uh, like he recognized what was going on. He was he's like, No, I like I I'm a I was addicted to you know, pain pills for well, he saw what it did to Jason Mews. Like somebody yeah. who he was also incredibly close with. Right. Like, yeah. And, yeah, and they were like, they were doing it and like well and the thing is for him, like and, you know, this happens a lot and this is, you know, an argument for legalization of marijuana is he had knee knee or back pain, I can't remember what it was. Knee. And, you know, he, they put him on opiates and, and also he was depressed and his life fucking sucked, so like it Although I think his life's pretty cool, but uh, well, well, what I know of it, it's cool. But, he, uh, this is the thing is he, he's one of those guys who can't let go of the past enough that he. Yeah. I'm not telling I'm not telling anybody to suck it up, Buttercup. But you know, at a certain point, like he did have his niece to care for, but he still chose to. And and, and you know, neither you or I have have ever been depressed, right? Like, so I don't know, like, and this is I always have this problem giving this sort of concept, like, like. My daughter's nearly two, and, like, she climbs up on the couch and sits down next to me to watch TV, and, like, we're watching This Old House on PBS, and she goes, house show, and I'm like, nope, never doing, like, don't need drugs, and you know yeah. me, like, I'm super into, like, hallucinogens and those sort of things, but, like, right. nope, don't need to do them, like, I, I like drinking wine, but if it was, like, her or wine, wine's out the window, 
Like, right. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Easy, easy choice. And it's not even a hard choice. And, like, I can't imagine having been so impacted by some other event in my life outside of, like, if I was a Syrian child and I watched my dad get blown up by the U.S. Air Force and it's like, oh, it's freedom. Like, right. You know, like, I'd understand if you were, like, if it was ISIS had blown up your dad and you're like, okay, like, these are terrorists. Like, if you look at, like, what the United States is supposedly representing, like, you know, there's just no way you can get past that. But for, like, I've not had that in my life. But, like, and that's what I don't understand. Like, yeah, Brian had an abusive childhood by by the current definitions of abusive. And it was probably abusive by those definitions back then. Like, his parent, his dad wasn't a great guy. Yeah. Or isn't a great guy. But, like, he's got his niece, and I'm like, I just don't understand being like, yep, I'm going to keep making these bad decisions. Right. When Well, but you know what, by, by, and this sort of goes back to whatever, if we discovered Tom Woods was a heroin addict or whatever, I mean, the reason Brian Johnson stopped was because he got to a point where he didn't think he could take care of his niece anymore. And, uh, and you know, probably it was, it was earlier that he wasn't able to, but, you know, the entire time he was on pills, he was still taking care of her. Yeah. And, and, and doing what I imagine was a good job or whatever, but... Uh, or a better job than the alternative. Right, yeah, which, you know, I, I guess his sister's not the greatest person ever, but uh, also same problem, though, like, you know, bad situation. Also, you know, with a disabled daughter, it's very difficult and requires a lot of additional time and effort, and I'm very, very glad for her that he's there. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, that's, a, you know, but it, it sort of kind of going back to the point, like, during that entire time, I had no idea that he was on bills. He was still entertaining. He was still making money. He was on Comic Book Men um, making money, you know, for, I guess, making money because uh, Kevin Smith set it up for him. And, and that's one of the greatest things about Kevin Smith. Like, one of the things I like is that he does take very good care of his friends and, you know, tries to make their lives better, not just like, here's money or here's free work or whatever. It's like, no, let's like, let's try to, you know, the whole reason Tell Him Steve Dave started was because Kevin Smith was, or because... Walt called Kevin and was like, you need to call Brian. And Kevin Smith was like, well, why? What's wrong? And he goes, just call. And uh, and Kevin was like, well, Walt never calls. And he never, you know, he never reaches out or anything like that. It's always, I reach out to Walt. And Walt was like, call Brian. And so he called Brian. And he said, what's what's going on, man? Uh, how's things going? And Brian was like, yeah, I'm about to hang myself. And, and Kevin was like, okay, well, I'm on the next plane out there. Don't do it until I get there. And, you know, flew out, talked to him you know, off the ledge, so to speak, and got him to start Tell Him Steve Dave, and Tell Him Steve Dave kind of, it gave him something to do every week that... It gave him a uh, commitment. Yeah, it gave him a commitment, gave him a cause, kind of, and, and he's done a good job, and he's, de- he's definitely my favorite person on Tell Him Steve Dave. I really like Brian, and uh, I like Q also. I, I like Walt a lot, actually. Walt, Walt, I don't know. I like him all. But, uh, here's, uh, the, here's the thing about Tell Him Steve Dave. I think yeah. Walt is the closest to you. But I think Brian is the closest to the guy you want to be. Yeah, yeah, just very. He is very free. He's he's, a, he's emotionally free, and I'm not very emotionally free. <laughs> well, so I, I think there's I think there's twofold to that. So he's emotionally yeah. free, but I think what he's also I don't I don't have the right words for it, but like you, and I don't think you know your mom's been on the show twice. I don't yeah. think you were handicapped by this from your mom at all. So I don't want right. it to sound like that. So if it does, yeah. Your parents instilled such a care about the rest of the world in you. Right. You didn't have oh, to yeah, go. Definitely, yeah. You didn't have to go find it. Yeah. Walt doesn't care about the rest of the world. He cares about his family. He cares about his friends. Right. Brian cares about the rest of the world, but realizes he can't do anything about it. Right. 
So that frees him up to do whatever he wants because he's kind of yeah. like, who am I to be that responsibility? And I think that's kind of where you see a lot of that where it's like, you know, we'll, we'll discuss this a little bit and I haven't told you this. So the other day at work in one of the meetings that we, you know, the weekly meetings we had, right. the boss was like, hey, you know, there's no bigger advocate for you than me. Like, there's no, no one in this company is not replaceable. We lost Christine. We opened the next day. We kept working. We've lost Jacob. We opened up the next day. We kept working. Right. Like, the only person who's not replaceable is me. I own the company. Like, it's me. And, you know, he is replaceable. As much as he doesn't want to hear that, he is replaceable because his dad's still alive. And his dad can run the company day to day doesn't want to but he could but he was saying that you know hey if you're planning to transition out tell me ahead of time yeah you specifically and our you know christine left and you left gaping holes that he wasn't gonna you know he claims that he wouldn't have fired you guys and it would have he would have worked to make the transition actually happen right and he respected your decision to leave and things like that you know right you know clearly i have more behind the eight ball than that yeah, and, yeah. And, I, and I can see those sort of things, but he's like, you know, if you're planning to leave, tell me as soon as you can. Like, you know, you're right. going to move to Texas because you need to be closer to your family. Like, I understand right. that. Like, I I have two kids. Like, I'm, I'm not here to hamstring you. And I know right. one of your biggest fears was you would walk in and be like, hey, boss, I need to leave in three months. Right. Like, I'm, I'm going to move in three months. And your worry was you wouldn't have a job for three months. Well, and this is, you know, I don't. I don't need. I don't really need to argue against him or anything like that. But I will just because. But uh, you know, this is good advice to the listeners as well. Is that your actions in the present impact people's opinion of you? Mm-hmm. And if you give people a reason to believe that you are erratic and emotionally unstable and uh, make rash decisions, but also when you realize it's a rash decision, you have too much of an ego to go back on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, people will not be honest with you up front in the long term because the professional my perf- the professional thing to do is two weeks notice mm-hmm. I would have loved to give him a quarter's notice he gave me no reason to expect that my my job would still be there for three months and because he is erratic and emotional and he gets angry and he does things that he knows are wrong later but then will not go back on it because he does not want to look weak or whatever yeah. and I, I, you know what? He's a great. He was a really good boss for those nine years that I was there in a lot of ways. And but there is a um, there's a history that shows that I cannot. My number one priority is me. My second di- secondary priority is my family, and then my tertiary priority is my responsibilities outside of that. Mm-hmm. And my number one and, and number two priorities were higher on my list or whatever than whatever my loyalty to the company was. I still did the professional thing, which was two weeks. I also, you know, you know this, I've been contracting with the company and, and fulfilling my role uh, or fulfilling the gaps that I left. But this is a structural problem that was caused by management that the company could not move forward without me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they can't. The thing is, is like I, I've talked to Kassam several times and, uh, you know, it, it has been difficult for him, but at the same time, he's not lost like he knows what's going on yeah and 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 um, he's he's smart enough to recognize and i i've pulled him aside several times to discuss certain items yeah of like things that you complained about and i I did specifically tell him we lost jacob because of these things right 
you cannot let these continue. Like, you shouldn't engineer a solution to a problem Payday did not create. We're not getting paid for this work. Yeah. That we're just maintaining customers. We've right. lost bigger customers than these. We don't need to worry about it. And if we right. want to if we want to sell ourselves in these relationships, these people have to specifically fill the gap that they've created. Right. There's no gap at payday. Our our means are perfect. Right. These are the gaps. They are the gap. They are the problem. And and that's yeah. what I tried to convey to him. And you know, I, tr- I conveyed the same statements to you, yeah. and you didn't do them. And I understand now better why you didn't. Whereas, you know, I think you could have wagged your dick around more than you did. Right. But that's fine. You know, it, that's the thing is, like, and, and that's the thing is, I didn't tell you that story necessarily to refute your position. But right. that's where I came to the realization this weekend that I am absolutely unengaged at work at all times. Right. There's nothing engaging about the job to me now. Like, they've started changing things that I don't ask to be changed, and I don't like what's being changed, and, like, I got... So, you know, I I manage our help desk, and I got... I was talking to my new boss, because they've kind of put in more... tried to put more of a structure in, so we would stop going directly to Kassam or directly to implementation about our problems and route them through our direct manager, and then they would do the same, the reverse. Right. So it makes sense. It's it's a good structure to try to set up, but it's not it's not functional with our company at the moment. Right. Our boss is oh my boss is overwhelmed and is not doesn't have a memory. Right. It's like a goldfish, no memory. Has to write everything down. Yeah, yeah. Then has to spend thirty minutes looking through notes to try to find the memory while we're getting yelled at for not informing her about the memory that she has. Right. So I was sitting there and you know, I was complaining about the changes they were making to the way I function in my role and she's like well like is this really what you you know do you want to just answer these emails for the rest of your life and in my head I was immediately like and very you know me you've known me for 10 plus years now yeah almost 11 years yeah Yeah. when I am not happy with somebody I say really vitriolistic like I have a mouth yeah oh yeah and and you get that from your mom (laughs) I do I do (laughs) But, yeah. like, I can say the most nasty things and mean them and feel them right at the moment. And my immediate response was, you have no idea what I want. You have no concept. No one has asked me what I wanted. You guys just started changing things. No one asked me, am I comfortable with this specific role in this specific position? Do I want more responsibility? Do I want different responsibilities? No one's communicated anything to me. Right. And they apparently had some sort of management meeting. And, like, apparently either I came up or my specific responsibilities came up and it was kind of like this standpoint of like well we need to lessen the burden of the specific responsibility that Mason bears help desk so we can free him up to do other stuff my response is what other stuff like I've not been asked to join the implementation team I've not been asked to do anything different so if you're planning a different role for me and changing my current role ahead of time to fill it the next role you should tell me ahead of time like and my boss did tell me like hey we're going to change you know the owner of the company did tell me kind of like hey we're going to try to change help desk a little bit blah 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 for this and it's kind of like well you should have been doing that the entire time right but you didn't so now you're just making my life harder because you're not you have no enforcement mechanism for the changes you're making but so and i was just sitting there being told like oh like blah 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 there could be changes 
coming. And it's like, well, I want it in writing. And that's kind of what I almost said. It's like, well, if you're going to change anything about my job or my duties, I want it in writing at this point. Right. Well, what do you mean? I don't trust any of you well enough now that Jacob's not here. Yeah. Because I could hedge my bets because you would tell me everything. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Exactly. You would tell me everything. And Kassam won't for good reason. He doesn't know he can trust me the way I know he can trust me, and he doesn't yeah. know that I can trust him the way he may trust. You know, like, we, we don't have that working relationship, sure. even though we're right. close. Right. So, but that's the thing, is, like, I realized this, like, this weekend, and one of the frustrating things for me about you moving away is, and one of the reasons I started the whole podcast was just to hang out with you once a week. Right. Well, but, and you know what, and that, that kind of going back to that, because that was one of the things I was really happy about the podcast, and one of the things I was kind of bummed out about when we started working together is that our relationship changed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and a lot of it was just that it wasn't that it changed like in a bad way but it was more like uh like i saw you every day so it wasn't as special to hang out <laughs> yeah and, and that that's the thing is like and that that's what killed me like I, I found out is like i'm unengaged all the time at work right nothing that i do is particularly difficult nothing that i do is particularly taxing and i don't find it rewarding and it's not a complaint to my boss and it's not a complaint about the company. It's I, I'm not engaged with the work, and that's my own problem. I've led myself to this position. I'm the problem. Right. Like, there are people who would be engaged and happy to do my job. Oh, yeah. I'm not. They're 50-year-old women. Well, that's the thing. Is even if they're not, there's there's a 20-year-old kid out of high school who's oh, sure. smart, and he could use the money and those sort of things. And I don't think I'm there anymore. Right. Like, I've got this other side project. I think I'm going to make a lot of money doing it. Yeah, I'm sure you will. <laughs> you know, I intend to, and, and I just need to do it. Right. But that's the thing is, like, I'm not engaged anymore. And at least with the podcast, I had something to engage with. And, you know, at work, we could get engaged with each other, like, doing something. Mm-hmm. And, and now, I get no engagement at work. And when I come home, you know, my daughter's nearly two. Right. Mom is still the best. So dad's on the floor playing with toys, but mom's sneezing. So mom's more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. we're yeah. in the we're in the middle of building the giantest, most tall foam block tower possible. Mom right. sneezes; it's immediately go hang out with mom. Like, right. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. I don't I don't begrudge my daughter. I don't begrudge my wife. But like, I came to this realization that like I yeah. don't have a close friend who lives here. I don't. I can't like when when I get off of work, I've been unengaged for eight hours. Oh yeah. My yeah. wife has been engaged the entire time. Then she's engaged with our daughter because our daughter is demanding her specific attention. It's not that I can't provide the warm-up food, cook food, those roles. My daughter just is at an age where she's interested in mom, which is fine. But so I'm unengaged so frequently that I became even worse about being unengaged when my daughter's doing something, I'm surfing on my phone. Right. Watching her play, I'm in, you know, paying attention, but when she looks for me for a cue that she did something silly that dad's going to laugh at, I've missed the subtle cue. And you laugh two seconds too late. She's two. She doesn't care. She's, you know, she's not hurt that I didn't notice. She goes, right. she runs off to, you know, torture the dog in some way. <laughs> like, right, right. Stealing his food, like, whatever she's doing. But like, yeah. so I've become so unengaged. It's like, look, if you guys are planning to entice me to stay, because you figured out that, like, yeah, I'm way smarter than most of the people here, and I just don't care anymore, then you need to tell me something. 
because I'm not engaged. And that's kind of what I want our listeners to take away from this is, and this is something that Jason Stapleson said, you are the problem. Like, you had a bad childhood, you've perpetuated the continued problems from there. Like, I have a bad work situation. I've stayed there. You right. had a bad work situation. It took you forever to, you know, oh, yeah. not admit. Nine. Actually, I don't, I think you and I met before I worked there. Mm-hmm. About six months, maybe maybe a year before I worked there. And I've never liked it. Yeah. And, uh, and I, and, but it took me nine, almost nine years to leave. Yeah. And that's the thing. And that's it, my fault. It, it took you nine years to think you could make money elsewhere. Right. It, and know you could. Yeah. And then when you did, it's like, oh wait, I can make a lot more money elsewhere right oh yeah yeah and yeah. i make you know almost 50 well maybe not 50 percent more but i have a reliable salary that is at least 25 percent more and in addition to that bonuses that probably make me about 50 percent higher salary than I, what i was making and, and, and take that and on top of that it's uh a it's you know like we were saying it's engaging it's interesting work and uh all of the industry i don't care a huge amount about but the but the work itself is very interesting and i'm becoming a better developer well, that's the thing, is the financial remuneration isn't the only thing. Right. If you don't have to be at work for 70 hours a week. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, I, mean, the, like I, I have been working a little bit more than probably I should, and, and my new boss actually talked to me about that. It's so weird. I have my new boss is five years younger than me. He's <laughs> um, so strange, but he's also, like, a great leader, and, like, he kind of, he and I get there around the same time. I get there about 70, he gets there about 7.30. Because we have flex hours, and uh, and he's like, ha. he's like, you are here before me, and you're here after me every day. I don't like it. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, I understand that you're just trying to catch up and like get up to speed and, and become productive, and I, I appreciate that. But I also don't want you to be burned out. And I, I like you. You seem smart. You know, Eric, who is one of the developers that uh, interviewed me, he says he thinks you're smart. Our boss thinks you're smart. Our higher up boss thinks you're smart. I, I really want you to stay on the team, but I don't want you here 50, 60 hours a week and then getting totally burned out and leaving. Yeah. And he's like, what I want, like what I envision for you is a 35 or 40 hour a week and uh, and then that's it. And then you don't think about it too much when you're not here. He says, like, if there's an emergency, we'll call you, but I don't want you here from seven to seven every day. I want you here from like seven to three or seven to two. Yeah. And that's the, and that's what I think is like our our, my boss, your previous boss, he is not, he wants the same thing, truly, he like, but he can't provide it because of the nature of the industry. Like, he doesn't want people there that, like, one, he doesn't want to pay, which is right. fine. You know, that's totally a legitimate concept. You don't want to pay the, the financial cost of having somebody there, and he doesn't want to burn out employees, but he right. understands that payroll burns out employees. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. that's the thing is, like, I don't want you at your job more than one hour a week. Like, yeah. I, my, like, so are we so we have another friend who one day we're going to have on the podcast. Yeah. It's the other Jacob. Oh, okay, yeah. So, you know, it, like, I was, I'm not depressed and I'm not sad that you moved. Because right. I, I recognize everything that is so good about it. But it's also my fault that you moved. Like, from that truly the as Jason was saying was saying like you are the result of all of your actions and the interactions right. with others I found a way for us to make money that possibly didn't require you to move it took me longer than I would like to admit to get that making make sense to me right and because it didn't make sense to me I didn't want to turn it over to you for two reasons one I didn't want to turn over something that didn't make sense that you couldn't make money at 
two, right. I didn't want you to show me up. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I don't think I would have. Well, here's here's the thing. I bet you would have, because you would have been like, wait, this is this easy, and they're telling me it's this easy, and when it's not, you get pissed off, right. and you're like, and you're not actually angry, but you get frustrated, and you find ways around it faster than I do, okay. and and that's just how you are. I muddle through and kind of make my own barriers that get in my way. You usually are like, you get tripped up by something that I think is simple, but you've done like nine other support things where it's like, Jacob, if you just didn't connect the two lines, if you connect the two lines, you would have been done. Like, it's easy. But that's just a different concept because you don't think the way I think and I don't think the way you think. Sure. So this weekend, so we we bought memberships to Local Zoo. And one of the things is the museums and the zoo do membership month trades where like basically if you have a membership to the zoo you can go to the aquarium for free right the aquarium is like 24 dollars an adult so oh, the, zoo, the uh nauticus no 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 the uh living uh, the marine science museum by where you used to live oh they they do they they do exchanges with virginia beach or are they all state no no, no. so like the the norfolk zoo does a membership exchange with the aquarium for one month Oh, okay, that's kind of cool. So the zoo, the zoo costs... That's a really good zoo, too, for anybody that's in the Norfolk area. Like, the Norfolk Zoo is really cool. Yeah, so, like, we got memberships to the zoo, so we went to the aquarium for free. And if you go to the aquarium, it's $50 for two adults. Right. My daughter's under two, it's free. So, you know, no problem there. But the membership to the zoo was $109. It's 14 bucks to get an adult to go to the zoo. So, fourteen ninety-five. So it's $15. Right. So thirty dollars go to the zoo once off the hundred nine, fifty dollars having gone to the aquarium once. So I'm eighty dollars into this membership. I can right. go to the zoo two more, three more times, and I've covered the zoo membership. But they also include the Portsmouth Children's Museum in September because it's a, it's all summer long. These memberships, like these entire months of trades. But so we invited Jacob out to go to the zoo or to the. To the aquarium because we we bought a more advanced membership to the zoo that basically you can get a guest in for free we didn't quite understand how the exchange works so we thought he was going to get in for free we ended up he ended up having to pay to go in but he didn't care because that's who he is but so last night i sent him the details for the program that i'm in the trying to make money and i basically told him like these are the rough upfront costs and here are the couple pitfalls watch the videos and if you like, if you think this is something you want to do, and you get everything set up, I'm going to give you my lower end suppliers, the ones right. that you know it's at thousand dollars a month or so of profit. Like you could have them. The higher end ones you can't have because I'm going to be melting them unless I get like six of them, and I'm like I just physically can't buy enough for this. Right. But that's where I kind of was like, look, I, I have to live what I've been thinking, and it's everything's my fault. <laughs> good or bad and lost you guys to texas which there are many different reasons and like it's not just the money and it's just not it's not just the job right like if i gave you a billion dollars and said you had to live in virginia you'd be like okay i'll live in virginia like right buy a private plane no problem i understand that but that was kind of the thing is like i recognized you were i should have recognized how much more you were hurting at the job and then realized like are we retarded like, we spend more time screwing around on the internet, doing these things, and, like, the people who put on the program I do have 
you know, they sell other programs because they, right. they found other ways to make money. And my goal is right now to make as much money with this program as possible. And then every time Tom Woods is selling a different system or these guys yeah. are selling a different system is invest in it. Because right. most of the time it's, you know, a few thousand dollars. And what's a few thousand dollars? Like right. even now, like a few thousand bucks isn't a lot of money. No. So if I can make a revenue stream that isn't dependent upon the revenue stream I'm currently using, and that revenue stream makes me what I'm making at my legal, not my legal job, but my, you know, nine to five, why the hell not? Right. So, and our friend Jacob doesn't work a job like we do. No. He does a creative yeah. job and doesn't make as much as he could or should, in my opinion, and that's right. my own opinion. So I was like, I have to get him doing this because I can't have him leave for somewhere else. Right. Because so, yeah, he, some, he, he's not a making place money. where there's not really a good reason to leave. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, there was there was good reasons, but it was like, I mean, legitimately, we kind of just picked it. Yeah. You know what? This is a place. This is cheap flights to Virginia, cheap flights to California. That's where we're going to go. Well, so like, as a side note, my dad was mentioning that if his company wins a specific contract, he was going to possibly try to get moved to San Diego. Oh, for, I have... I have Maybe I told you this news you, you did, you did. And that's my point. That's my point was, and I told my dad, I looked at him, I was like, you know, the only reason we don't live in San Diego is you live here. Right. And, he, you know, he didn't seem taken aback by that. But I just told him, I was like, if I could live anywhere, I'd, well, if I could live anywhere, I'd live in Munich, Germany. Because <laughs> it, right. it, it is, the weather there is, ex like, San Diego has, for America, the best weather to me. Right. Germany, Munich, has the best weather Overall, in my opinion, but neither here nor there. But yeah. if I could live anywhere, I'd live in San Diego. If I lived in the United States, and Jason Stapleton put this point out as like, look, Cal Texas, you know, California has a lot of taxes. I could live yeah. in Texas. I could live in Alaska. Right. He, he's not location dependent. Yeah. Wake up in LA one, you know, in the summer. It's eighty, you know, it's ninety degrees. But he lives in Venice, so right. the windows are yeah, open. You don't have Venice the AC Beach. on. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And well, that, and like you know, and this is something that Victoria and I have learned from living. I've already got a tan, which is, is interesting to me because like I don't I don't spend a lot of time out on the pool or anything like that, but just walking around, you get you get tanned because it's it is sunny, and mm -hmm. it's hot. Yeah. And but like I love the heat here. And oh, I'm sure you do. Which is so weird because I'm not, I don't really think of myself as like a heat lover or anything like that. You know, it never really bothered me that the that the I mean. I thought that we kept the uh, office a little bit cold in Virginia, but like it didn't really bother me that it was that cold. And uh, and when it was really humid in Virginia, I actually kind of liked it. Like it took me a long time to get used to it. But no, you and you and I are dry and hot. But you and I, you and I are the same way. But, yeah. You know, you but like here, it's like like today was like ninety eight, and like I walked out with the dog, and I was like, ooh, it feels good. Yeah, and that, that's the thing is like I'm. I'm not against the heat anymore. I don't want the humidity. Yeah, that's that. And here, here the in the morning, it's humid. But like at night, like where I'm going to take the dog for a walk after the show, and it's still it's still in the 80s right now, high 80s. But uh, yeah, but there's like well, it's actually it's 90 right now. So yeah, but uh, it, it's what like 45 percent like less humidity than Virginia. Yeah. And then if I walk up to the Katy Trail, which is you know right up the street from me, where there's it's a in Dallas there's this trail, the Katy Trail, which is all like trees and stuff like mm -hmm. that that goes through the park um it's like 10 degrees cooler well that's the thing is like i started realizing how much cooler it is in the shade here yeah like yeah. people you know 
if it's 105 here, it's no less cool in the shade. It, it, the humidity is so intense. Right. But it's not Florida. Right, exactly. 90% of the year, it's cooler in the shade. Right. And I started realizing it this year, but, like, that's the thing. is like, I personally don't care about the heat. What right. I care about is if my apartment, house, car can provide me adequate cooling when I demand it. Right. Like, if it's hot outside and I can stay inside all day and, you know, get work done and play with my kid and, you know, that, that sort of thing and not deprive myself of a good life, fine. Right. Like, yeah. I don't want to live in Dubai, but, like, in Dubai, like, the air conditioning works. Right. Oh, so, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. my parents are, you know, they're in Bahrain right now, but like I told you earlier this week, yeah. it looks like my dad's going to be stationed in San Diego next month. Oh, I was so incredibly pissed by that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am super stoked. Well, it's really good because my sister, uh, I, to I think I told you my youngest sister is pregnant, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. so she's going to have a baby soon, and she's getting married soon, and my parents are traditional, so they're going to pay for the wedding. Wonderful. And, uh, and so they, they're going to be, my mom will be excited to be there because she can help Jody Beth plan, but Jody mm -hmm. Beth is kind of a hippie, so her wedding is going to be very, uh, like, freeform and inexpensive. Yeah. Very, actually, probably similar to your wedding, except for more hippie. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. Like, I'm not part of your family. Yeah. So disappointed I can't go to that. <laughs> you, you can probably go. I'll ask her. Yeah, well, I'll ask her. Here's, here's the thing. <laughs> like, I don't think I can functionally go to it. Right, right. But... Nice thing is, like, I know, like, if I showed up and I wasn't, like, showed up, like, you know, being rude or anything, like, I know no yeah. one would turn me away. Like, if no, I showed up with... They, they would all be very happy that you were there. Yeah, food to share and yeah. brevity and, and, and happiness and well wishes for the couple, like, Absolutely. it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. But that but that's the sort of thing where it's like, son of a gun. <laughs> like, my dad told me, he's like, oh, you know, I tried to get stationed in San Diego and, and I started trying to talk him into it. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a cool place. And you know what? This is a great transition to the one topic that I wanted to talk to. Yes, week. yes. Uh, the splitting California vote in November. I agree. So uh, uh, Ryan McMakin, who's with the, the Mises Institute, mm -hmm. he, wrote a, he wrote a really good article. He's on, also on, on Mises, Mises, Mises Weekend. And he, and he had a good Mises Weekend. Yeah, exactly. A good Mises Weekend um, podcast about it, too, which I think had some kind of interesting points. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not going to say I'm opposed to it because I'm not opposed to it, but you know, I'm from Northern California and I'm, I wouldn't say I'm heavily invested in it, but I, I yep. am. No, 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 that's bullshit. You're heavily invested in it. I, I really <laughs> want Jefferson to be his own state. Yeah. And, and I've, and I've told Victoria this and, and I've, uh, I, I've told my family, this is like, if Jefferson splits off, I might move back and I, I would move back and try to be influential in the new state. And, you know, my family wants me to move back to California, although I have a feeling that by me moving to Texas, I can get a lot of them to move here. And um, But California is kind of unique in that its county system is very strong. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that – so so this three-state initiative, is it's, it's fine, and it's interesting. And I, it's and not very fine, interested. but – Say that again? I said it's not fine. Uh, it's not what I want. No, and that's my point is there, there's, a, there's a lot of problems with it. Yeah, yeah. I would prefer it to be the six-state solution, and I think the six-state solution is is a better solution. Now, obviously, I would prefer the no-government solution, but the, what is it, uh, almost 30 million state solution, which I think there's almost 30 million people in California at this point. Uh, closer uh, to 40. Is it, oh, is it closer to 40? Okay, yeah. so almost 40 million people solution in California. That would be the ideal solution. But, yes. you know, that aside, I think a six-state solution would have been better. And, um, 
Oh. One of the things that, if, if you guys want to listen to this, um, listeners, if you want to listen to this, listen to the Mises Weekend that had Brian McBacon on it. They make a lot of interesting uh, so, comments. So people that, know, that the weekend of 6-15-2018. Yeah, yep. And um, I think people don't realize this about California enough, is that like where I'm from in California, Northern California, it is not California as what people perceive California to be outside of the state. Yes. And um, it's Northern California. Culturally, it's different. Um, geographically, it's different. Population density is way different. Um, it is much more like Nevada or Oregon as far as the population goes. Well, the, let, me, let, me, let me give an example real quick. Okay. We all know where the penis of the United States sticks off, which is yep. uh, Florida. Right. So imagine, so where I want to live is basically at the end, right, uh, end of Florida, right, the Florida-Georgia right. line. Right, right. That's San Diego. Yeah. San Diego, if you go all the way across, roughly, roughly, very roughly, same, you know, same area, where you're talking about would be the difference past Virginia. It's kind of near Maryland, oh, yeah. Delaware. Yeah. Like in distance, and it may actually be further than it's nine plus hours away. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, like it's just in the, that's excluding it's, traffic. It's a it's an eight and a half hour drive from where I used to live in California to Sandy or to Los Angeles. Yeah, it's it's a it's a huge distance, and and you know culturally it's different. I mean, so like you think about this is that like what what do people think about like red states? They think that you know when you turn in, you know if anybody listens to radio anymore. You tune into the radio and it's country music stations and, and like conservative talk radio. That's Northern California. Is that you yeah. have country music stations going? Like, you know, you do have alternative rock, and you know, like when I was growing up, alternative rock was what was up. But and you have Hispanic stations. Yeah, you have a lot of Hispanic stations. It's and if you go further inland or further north, it's a lot more country music stations. It is a rural area. It's much more focused on natural resources and farming. And it, it doesn't have a lot of what people typically think of California as like the Bay Area or Los Angeles. Or although I'd be probably more comfortable in San Diego because I think a lot of the you know culturally I think I have a lot more in common with people in San Diego than San, I do with San people Diego in has San Francisco. San San Diego has a lot more of the environment, right? Right. Than San Francisco does. Not that the, like in the difference is San Diego is concerned about the fishery. Whereas San Francisco is concerned about the poor flooding in Malaysia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, so, they care yeah. about the yeah. local environment, too, clearly. But they right. care much more about, like, oh, global warming is going to kill us all. And San Diego's like, fucking seal ate my fish. <laughs> like, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's the, you know, that's the thing. is like with this three-state initiative, I was talking to my dad a little bit about it. And I told him, to be honest. Well, I really like, wish we could get on the show about this. What's that? I wish we could get your dad on the show about the splitting California. I, I frankly, I don't think we can get my dad on the show at all. Um, I think or, if you were, I think if you were in the room with him, you could. Yeah, maybe. He, my dad has a really interesting perspective. My dad's been active duty military for uh, almost twenty years and reservist before that, and um, he has a very interesting perspective on the world. And he's and he's such a down to earth individual. Yes. And um, and very much like. Well, you know, I don't, I don't really know much about that, but this is what I think, kind of thing. And it turns out I, he knows and, a and shit ton about, about it. it. And he and I both kind of agreed that, like, the state, if, if California is split into three under this plan, the state we would most feel comfortable in would be Southern California, mm -hmm. even oh, yeah. though Northern California is where we are from and where we love. But San Francisco it's that, dominates yeah, it's the Bay Area. It's the Bay Area and San Jose. 
San Jose. San Jose, truly. To a less extent, Sacramento, but Sacramento's not the worst. Sac, um, well, that's the thing. Is Sac is Sac is under a million, if I if my numbers remember correctly. No, yeah, I think it's like but, it's like five hundred thirty thousand. It's pe- not that much, right? Pe- pe- it people up, always but, say the Bay Area is going to dominate. No, it's fucking San Jose. San Jose yeah, is exactly. massive, massive. Yeah, well, definitely. Uh, let's see what Sacramento population is. Yeah, four hundred ninety-five thousand. Yeah, that's Virginia so, Beach. Yeah, exactly, Virginia Beach. Not not a big deal. Um, but San Jose, we can look. We can take a look at that. I forgot we uh, have the internet. Yeah, San Jose population is one point one point two five million, and San Francisco, San Francisco, eight hundred uh, eight seventy uh, eight hundred seventy thousand. Okay, and and you know let's go ahead and tie this back into wine. Well, so quick. San Diego one point four. Yeah. Oh, okay. And what? What is so? San Jose, one point two five. San Diego, one point four. San Francisco. What about Oakland? Uh, Oakland. So Oakland is where Berkeley is. That's like a, a bastion of liberalism. Is four hundred twenty thousand. But that's so, the thing is, like the rest of Oakland isn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. But it, well, there it's a very large black population, which this kind of goes back to what we were talking about uh, about um, red pill black. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Kanye West and all that sort of stuff is that I, I do think that there is kind of a pendulum swing going on where like a lot of you know uh, to, for for not really any better way of explaining this is that the a demographic change going on where I think that like the black population in the United States is kind of going like well what have the Democrats done for us and and so I, I think and 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 also you know uh, black like a lot I do have I have a lot in common with like conservative black. People, even though they vote Democrat, is that like we are we are more culturally conservative, and um, I come from an evangelical background. A lot of them are evangelical, and um, so we have a lot in common in that regard. And I think that, that sort of a lot of them are starting to go like, well, this whole and you know, you and I are libertarians, so we don't really care if people are trans or gay or yeah. have any sort of weird alternative lifestyle. But I think like a lot of evangelicals and a lot of black traditional families or just black evangelicals in general kind of are going like that's weird and, and i think it's okay for them to think it's weird well and here's um, the thing it is but it's also like i don't care what other people are doing well so, and, and here's here's the here's the ultimate thing about that and we don't we think it like i think listening to people like jordan peterson who have a huge amount of education yeah. and and it's not like jordan peterson was a lib uh, was a staunch conservative, um, I, I can't think of a real... He's, cons- he's Canadian. That's the thing is, yeah. And there are conservatives there, but he, he's not from a conservative tradition. Yeah, he's, it, from, he's from a you know, more or less classical liberal tradition. Yeah, the thing is, he's not Walter Williams. Right, exactly. He's Like, Walter Williams is a conservative. Right. He's a black conservative, but he's a conservative. He's not Walter Williams. He's a Canadian, and he's right. kind of conservative. And Jordan, not, Pe- yeah, and Jordan Peterson is telling you... He's a strange position on a lot of stuff, but yeah. it's so intriguing. And Jordan Peterson is telling you that, like, the, like, scientific evidence, which, you know, you and I have arguments against on a lot of yeah. scientific evidence, where it's like, well, that's not actually the evidence. What you're, you're right. quoting is just cherry-picked statistics. Like, Jordan Peterson right. recognizes cognitive bias in these things. Right. But he, you know, he's like, these are weird things. But like, you know, we know people who represent in those, in those categories. And it's like, we know some who are crazy. Like they were crazy people to begin with. 
Right. And they represent this way, and it's like, is this is this a symptom of your insanity, or is this just something that has driven you insane because right. that's what's happened to you? And then we know people who are, who are clearly just milking things. Right. And we know people who it's like, no, what you're telling me is, like, I understand what Jordan Peterson is saying. You are not in his statistics. Right. You are completely different than everything sure. else. Like, this is, like, if this is true, you're right. the person it's true for. Well, and I think that one of the things that, like, that, and this is where I agree very much with Jordan Peterson on, that is that if, if this is truly how you present, like, so in the trans situation, and we know people who, we've known them before and after that they're transitioned, and prior to them being transitioned, and then when they decided to transition, it kind of went, we kind of went, well, you you more than me, because you, you had a close relationship, but you kind of went, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, but then, you know, and also just people who are just insane. Yeah. And it's like, you you, you are making a mistake, because you were crazy, you think that, that this thing that you're doing is going to make you feel different, it's not, you're crazy. Yeah, it's like and, you have other problems right. that are exacerbating these feelings. Right. You're not exactly. crazy for having these feelings. Yeah, but I think the, the feelings that, that you're having are crazy. Exactly, and I think the position that Jordan Peterson has is that if this is your, if you are truly, you know, the wrong person in the wrong body, or whatever the deal is, whatever. I'm not gonna, you know, try to say whatever it is because I don't know, but. If, if you truly feel that way, you don't need to use the apparatus of government to enforce your pronouns, basically. And exactly. it's like, you know what, like, the people, I, I've seen men who transition into women, and it's like, yeah, that clearly used to be a dude. I've also seen women who are just women, who look like dudes. Yeah. And, you know what, and just from clear, like, social propriety in general, I would never try to... I would always go like, okay, you look like a woman, I'm going to say miss, and assume that that's correct, and if I'm wrong, correct me, and I'll feel bad, but at the same time, if you look like a guy, you've got a beard, you look like a guy, and I'm going to say, I'm going to say mister, or I'm going to say, you know, uh, a male pronoun, or whatever the deal is, but the, the, I think the Jordan Peterson position is that if you Whatever your opinion is, that if it's a valid opinion, you do not need the force of law to enforce your... Well, this may be just my own anarchist kind of skew on it, is that you do not need the law, the government, and by law, I mean you do not need the police showing up with a gun to enforce whatever it is that you feel the rest of the world should recognize you as. It's up to you, kind of going back to what Jason Stapleton said, everything that happens is your fault. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, is like, I think Jordan Peterson, if you approached him in the classroom and said, you know, Dr. Peterson, you know, I understand that I may look female, but I don't feel that way, and I'm, I'm working toward not being presenting in that way. Right. I would appreciate it that you called me, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever. Yep. Well, you know what, and he's actually addressed that before, and he said, sure, I would do it, but it's never happened. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, like, we, the people... The, one of the persons we know yeah. would not, I don't believe, would approach him in that way. Right. But would not have complained if they did right. misidentify. And, you know, air quotes, misidentify. Right. But, and for the person we know, there's just no way they can misidentify. But 
Well, uh, you know, I mean, I guess there could be, but it's just there. There are several times that you could have, but not. And then, here's the thing: like when I grew my hair out when I was yeah. going to college, and you know, I hadn't gotten a haircut in a year and a half, right? And I couldn't grow any facial hair. Like I got several times, like from a distance, like a security guard's like, "Come forward, ma'am," and it's like, "I'm a dude." <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what, and, and actually that's one of the reasons I have a goatee, is because I think with long hair I do look a little bit feminine, and so... To, I, to be 100% honest, you because... don't at all, with or without a goatee, man. No. <laughs> I've but, always thought that I have a, a little bit of a round face, and well, so I've always thought it looked a little bit feminine. When you when you are on your diet, yeah. no. Okay. And, when, and actually right now, I, I am my, my face is very sunken, so yeah. I think it does look very masculine. Well, like um, the the vein in your forehead, okay, is very telling. With <laughs> I do, I have such a pronounced vein. It's so interesting that you picked that out. <laughs> well, so I'm I'm looking at your Skype photo. Oh, okay. And it's very like I don't know where you took this photo. Which one is it? It you're you were wearing a blue short. You're looking to what would be your right. There's oh, books behind oh. you. That's uh, that's you didn't go to that. That was at the uh, Yanni's. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Bar yeah. Virginia Beach, Yanni's, great wine bar. Yeah. So, um, but that's the thing. Yeah. yeah. So that's the thing is, like, when you're trying to put on weight, yeah, to try to bulk up, there is a position where maybe, right. But your physical size, like a woman who is six 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 five, right, does not look like you. Right. That's true. Their their hips are twice the width of yours. They're just so, like, they don't look like you. And, you know, that's the thing is, like, when you would see me with, like, super long hair and things like that, it's like, oh, up close, yeah, not a gu- not a girl. Definitely right. a dude. But, right. like, I understand kind of that, like, long hair clogged, I'm a security guard, I don't care. Sure. I'm just trying to get through. So, like, you know, it was embarrassing to me because I was like, I'm that overweight, they think. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, oh, yeah, you're so fat, you could be, like... A, you could be a just unpleasant-looking lady, right? Or a repulsive man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, and you know that that is a, uh, a thing. And you know, it's been years, I think, since I've been mistaken as a woman. But when I was a kid, I, I think that one of the things that had such a huge impact on me is is being mistaken as a woman on the phone or something like that, mm-hmm. and being like, "Oh my gosh, how would anybody think that?" But at the same time. At this point, my voice is so deep, and <laughs> and uh, I have facial hair and all that sort of stuff. Like I didn't want to be mistaken as a woman, but you know what? It, it, kind of going back to our point on this is that there are a lot of people who do want to be mistaken as the opposite gender, and that's none of my business. Yeah, if they, it, if, they, if they want to be the other gender or whatever, and I mistake them, you know, that's a, you know, I mistake them. My bad. I'll, I'll correct it or whatever. But I think Jordan Peterson's big issue is that you can't you can't mistake somebody as a zero because yeah. it's not a thing. Well, at least not and, in our culture yet. And, and here's the thing I think with Jordan Peterson, and I I agree and don't agree with some yeah. of his points. His point is you can't compel me to address you a specific way. Right. And if you believe in global warming to the point that you're going to, like, call me a land murderer or something like that, right? I have a doctorate. Right. I have done empirical research. I have done non-empirical research. I know what the fuck I'm talking about. Sure. You're talking about what you feel. I'm talking about science. Like, yeah. if 
if you believe in global warming, which I think Peterson does, yep. it, I think he's a little more tainted to the idea of, like, wait, no, there, I've seen some unevidence, and air quotes on unevidence. But, like, that's kind of Peterson's point is, like, no, like, I'm telling you what I know from science. Yeah. And you're telling me what you feel. Well, I feel global warming is bullshit, so shut the fuck up. But right. he's too nice to say that because he's Canadian. Okay, yeah, exactly. But, well, like... You know, I, don't, I don't know how you feel. I'm not gonna do it. Yeah. So, but, like, that's kind of the point is, like, he would not mind somebody making a direct request no. to be referred a certain way, and he would do his absolute best to do that. Yeah. But he's not going to be compelled to violate the actual science that he knows. It's like, look, right. I'm telling you that I know more than you. Sure. And if you recognize my degree, you recognize the institution issued my degree, and you recognize the fact that none of my peers in my scientific, scientific category say any of my research is invalid, and my research is reproducible, actually. Right. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. Sure. And by that argument, yep. I'm right. And you know, well, and, and even if even if he's wrong, I think one of his his big things is like, I'm not going to be forced under like threat of reputation destruction or whatever to do this. We will talk about it and debate, and then we'll come to a conclusion based on the debate, or or the individuals will come mm -hmm. to a conclusion based on the debate. And uh, and I think that's a very admirable. I mean, I, there's a lot of places where I'm sure you and I would disagree with Jordan Peterson because um, he is. He does have like you know he does have a vision for the role of government and it's much 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 larger than yours and mine. Even even outside like you know beyond minarchists or beyond like limited government conservatives or whatever, he does have like he has a a view where um, the welfare state plays a role and that you need the government to make sure that like some people are not so badly disaffected. Whereas I think. I won't speak with you, but for me, it's that if you have economic freedom, nobody will be disaffected so much that they will need to rebel or whatever. It's that when you have economic freedom, the prosperity is so great. Well, and that's the thing is, like, I don't, I don't disagree at all. Like, but yeah. my problem, like, I am much more pragmatist, right, in what exists now compared to what I have to deal with. Sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ha having an uncle who's mentally handicapped and things like that, where. He gets some state assistance, and I'm not in the means to replace it. But, right. like, if I didn't have my effective tax rate of whatever the percentage is sure. siphoned well, off it's, of it's, me, the, it's the effective tax rate of 30%, but it's also the embedded tax of nearly 70%. Yeah, that, exactly. Uh, like, you know, across, calculate. across the board. I mean, like, you know, it's not worth going into, but I agree. Sure. And that's the thing is, I think that's the difference between growing up Canadian and growing up American. Like, well, American is the wrong word for it, but growing up in the United States, because yeah. Canada is clearly part of America. Sure. Jordan Peterson, like, he's used to the framework of Canada, but I think, like, if you exposed him to the writing of Mises sure. and the writing of Rothbard, he'd probably be much closer to what we are. Yeah. But I think he's much more practical, where he's like, yeah, that all makes sense mm -hmm. 45 years from now. Where, right. you know, and, and I think Jordan Peterson, you know, and, it, and this is a knock against us. We read several things and read several people's opinions that we believe. And, you know, you know, Bob Murphy, Bob Murphy tells us something. We know that he's done the research. Why research the position? I don't think Jordan Peterson is that guy. I think right. Jordan Peterson is like, I read this article once that said global warming might be bullshit. Right. 
So I can't tell you global warming is true. I feel it's true, sure. but I won't comment on it otherwise. Right. Jordan well, Peterson, you know, that's interesting because I've been, I was having this conversation today with Victoria's new friend from the uh, mm-hmm. um, whatever it is, the Turning Point, yeah. um, YWLS, the Young Women's Leadership Summit in Dallas, um, which was pretty cool. Um, I, I'm really super stoked that Victoria got into this because it was, you know, we're, we're not evangelicals, and but I come from an evangelical tradition. Well, sorry, sorry. Here's what I'm going to say. Sorry, say that again. Well, so what I was going to say is we're at an hour and 42 minutes. Okay, well, we probably wrap up. And I really need to use the restroom. (laughs) I'm interested in what you're going to say. So talk about the social media and stuff while I use the restroom. Okay. We'll finish the point, and then we'll end the show. So, you know, fill fill the void for a second or two. So, Victoria, my beautiful had a really great haircut recently. Um, she went to um, the Young Women's Leadership Summit in Dallas, which had some really great speakers. It had um, Ben Shapiro, which I think I'm sure a lot of you listeners know from uh, he's a he's a very prominent conservative. Um, and uh, it had Jordan Peterson there, who we've been speaking about for the last couple of minutes. It had you know several other great speakers. Yeah, um, I'm going to say Anita Oakenford, but I know that's not her correct name. And Red Pill Black is what I know her from because I watched her on YouTube before she became real famous. Um, and so they were all there and uh, Charlie Kirk and, you know, a lot of prominent individuals in the conservative movement, which I think the right the right wing of the conservative movement does have a lot you know, of kinship with, like, the libertarians. They're not anarchists, and I recognize that, and I would like them to come over. But anyways, while we were at lunch, we were, I was talking to uh, Victoria's new friend there, and... She, uh, and obviously I never, never miss a chance, you know, coming from an evangelical tradition, I never miss a chance to be evangelical about anarchy. And so we were talking a lot about um, the anarchist perspective on different things. And, and this young woman, very intelligent young woman, I have a huge amount of respect for her because she's a SQL developer and that's what I am. <laughs> and, uh, but she uh, had a lot of questions about like, well, Without the government, how would we do this? And without the government, how would we do this? And what's great about um, kind of studying Mises and studying Rothbard, Walter Block, Bob Murphy, uh, and these great anarchist thinkers. Uh, well, Mises, I wouldn't say, is an anarchist thinker, but, you know, Block. So he's an anarchist thinker. Rothbard. Mises, I think Mises would have gotten to that point had, had he lived longer. But um, I think if he had more of an opportunity to speak to Rothbard and to see what a post-World War II world actually looked at yeah. like, because yeah. it's so hard when you survived World War One. Oh, yeah, absolutely. To know and he that... Was, and he served in World War One. Speaking of which, there, there's a really great Mises article, Mises.org article, about Ludwig, Ludwig von Mises about his role in World War One, Very interesting individual. Um, but what I was kind of saying, Mason, to the listeners, was that I was speaking to this young conservative mm-hmm. who came over uh, to the conservative movement a little bit, um, although she doesn't really consider herself a conservative yet, is she came over from being kind of a, of a left-wing progressive thanks to Donald Trump, really. A lot of, a lot of Donald Trump, a lot of uh, listening to... Uh, not even libertarians, but just kind of free thinkers who are going kind of like, wait a second, like this left-wing stuff is not not legitimate. And and when they say that, then it kind of leads to other things. And she's 
So she was open to a lot of these anarchist perspectives, I think. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we were just kind of talking about, like, uh, where she would be like, you know, um, you know, private security. And I said, well, you know, to kind of go to private security, we sort of have to go back a step or whatever to private law. But I said, you know, just here's a simple example. Think about this is would you prefer to live in an apartment complex with security or without security? And she was like, well, with security. And I said, okay. And so your insurance, your your homeowner's insurance, if you lived, you know how they, when they're asking you questions, they ask, do you have a uh, key fob access or security access to your apartment or not? And if you don't have security access, your insurance rate goes up slightly. Mm-hmm. And so with these things in mind, what would you choose? And choose, you know, a secure facility. Of course, it's a secure facility. And what does a secure facility come with? It comes with security officers. And... I said, now extend this idea of a secure apartment complex to the entire nation or the entire world. Mm-hmm. And so instead of expanding it out just to the street, expand it out to halfway across the street. So yeah. even if the even if you only own, you know, let's say that a road is twelve feet wide. I don't I don't know how many I don't know how wide a road is, but let's say it's twelve feet wide. Even if you just extend six feet in, and that you and that your apartment complex is six feet responsible for six feet in. They would have various rules for the road at that point. Mm-hmm. And so all of the things that you're afraid of, because, you know, most of what people who are status come from, they come from a, a point of fear. And and understandably so. They're like, the world is a scary place. There's, you know, a lot of things. And, and, and the government and does offer a plausible security aspect. And this is and, what I this is what I think about. Part of that is yeah. a lot of people think the fear that it's not. So, like, the leftists fear someone dying like so there's a really horrible photo during like in africa where this poor child is starving to death and there's a vulture standing behind it the guy who took that photo killed himself because he didn't do anything to help that child because he's a piece of shit right even if that child was going to die at the aid station that was less than a mile away this was a two-year-old child crawling to an aid station trying to get food and water instinctually trying to survive that's what leftist fear is a world of that. You and I, being more to the right of perspective, yeah. fear crack addict breaking into our house to take our goods and you know mess with our children and, and our wife. Right. And so one of the problems is that a lot of people on the left and the right face is they can't understand the fear that the other has. Whereas you and I are like, yeah, they're the same fear. It's, right. it's all fear. Yeah, well, one's a fear of abundance, one's a fear of scarcity. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and and from like a libertarian perspective, there's no reason that there would be scarcity, and the fear of abundance is irrelevant because the the, the privatization of security would alleviate ninety percent of that. Well, and that's the thing is, there's always going to be scarcity. It's sure. just, yeah, it, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's just should the scarcity be so bad that you need to commit? Like there, there's you know, there's always like on Reddit like the police officer bought this kid his clothes because he was going to steal them otherwise. Right. Totally great action from the police officer. Totally almost the right action from the kid because the kid is trying to escape from this poverty situation to get a job. Right. Like, you know, like there's that standpoint where, like, if you went into Walmart and said, I could steal the clothes or you could give them to me and I could take an interview. Right. Like, a lot of Walmart guys would be like, well, let's do the interview. Like, you are dressed the way you are. Let me see how you interview you know, sure, Walmart's not yeah. a terrible corporation. Like they, and it's a step. Yeah. yeah, they they want to give people a step up. Right. Like I think a lot of times they'd be like, "That's that's really novel." Like, okay, like let's sure. see what you got. Now, 
when you're the 75th kid in a row this week that's done it, then, you know, it's a tactic, and we understand that you're abusing it. But, sure, like, yeah. yeah, from that standpoint, it, you know, Republicans fear prosperity, or fear losing their prosperity, and Democrats fear scarcity and feeling the effects of scarcity. Whereas you and I are like, it's the same fear. Right, yeah, exactly. Like, you're and, all, and that's not a good place to operate from, is, you know, a, a, yeah. and operating from a point of fear is kind of a, it's a lose-lose situation, is that, is that, you know, you and I, I mean, you and I operate from, a, I think it's a human condition. We do sometimes operate from a position of fear, but the, mm-hmm. the, uh, uh, I wouldn't say, you know, not necessarily the correct position, but the logical position is that um, human demand is unlimited, so there is going to be scarcity, but mm-hmm. uh, there's no reason that everybody should be starving. I we, currently in the world, we produce more than enough food for everybody, but one of the reasons that food doesn't get to everybody is governments. And, yeah, it, and uh, that's... That's and I think the, that's you know that's a great place for us to add to end on. But, yeah, so uh, it, it's true. So as always, tastinganarchy.com, which is a barren desert of content at the moment, which yeah, we're hopefully, working on it. yeah, hopefully it will change. Um, so real quick, what were you drinking? What's the vintage? Well, I'm not going to talk about what I was drinking because that's not the one that I want to share with everybody. Okay. What I want to share with everybody is the. Uh, Truth and Valor Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, it's a 2016 vintage. It is uh, 13.9% alcohol. This is a really great um, cab. If you if you're interested in a cab, it'd be really good with like a uh, a nice um, sirloin steak or maybe like a, maybe something a little more fatty like a brisket or uh, some stew meat. So um, so a salad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, you, you, you would take it with salad, Mason, but uh, I think that I would take it with something a little more fatty, um, but I, I think that you would you would enjoy it with salad. <laughs> I would. And, well, um, I would enjoy most, most wines with salads. So. That's true, yeah. And so it's got a great label. Um, if you're ever looking at it, it's got a lion and a leopard on it um, mm-hmm. that are around a tree, and... Um, and it's right now, as of when we're filming or when we're recording this on six seventeen two thousand eighteen, um, it is on sale at Total Wine. It was a great deal. It was, a, I think, on sale. It's about nine dollars a bottle. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the other wine that I was drinking, and I was telling you about this, uh, and the listeners about this, um, the the Josh's. Um, I'll read it real quick again. Is that it's uh, Josh, which is their Cabernet Sauvignon, mm-hmm. uh, which is from the. Uh, Joseph Sellers Winery. I'm not going to say it's bad, but when you can get a nine dollar Truth and Valor cap and the you're um, spending twelve or whatever it is, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just not. I, I just don't think it's that that great for that price. Um, I, I may change my mind as I get further into the bottle. I only drink about uh, a glass and a half of it. Um, oh, so you didn't have three glasses like I did? <laughs> no, 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 no. I drink I drink a glass and a half. Like, I'm trying to keep it to. Roughly what it would be like if we split it. I guess I guess it would be two and a half glasses if we mm-hmm, split it. Mm-hmm. But um, I'll, I'll go ahead and vacuum seal it. You know what? When I write when I write up an article on it, uh, I, I may have a different opinion of it. But right now it's just you know it's okay. Um, yeah. If it's available, have a glass. If it's not available, you know try something else. Yeah. So um, so I had the Bella Glos, uh Pinot Noir 2016, the Dairyman variety because they they have several Pinot Noirs. Um, up front, I couldn't identify most of the stuff. It tasted a little odd. Um, as I had more of it, it definitely got more red winey, um, which is something 
you know, with you being so cap heavy in, in the beginning well, of the show. I do like caps. You know, I, yeah. earlier this week I had a Pinot Noir, mm-hmm. um, and and I liked it a lot. It was an Owl Post Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that probably my second choice is Pinot Noir. I am going to next week. I think I'm going to try to pick a Merlot. Oh yeah. So uh, or maybe a, or maybe like a Red Zinfandel or something like that. Well, um, so I need to branch out a little bit. Yeah. So to so to uh, give you a little heads up, all of the other wines I bought at the sale, all reds. Oh okay. Maybe yeah. I'll try uh, try a dry white then. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Just what I would say is, you're in Texas. Yeah. Get something from Texas. Okay. Don't don't you know check. Pick something from Texas. That's that's the only caveat. Yeah. Um, okay. But so um, this got more complex, and I could taste more of the complexity as I drank it. Um, okay. You know, so they, they talk about a lot of um, fruit. Like I definitely got fruit up front. Um, I could taste more of the wine as I had, or more of the alcohol as I had more of it, which to me is my get drunk. Oh, that's the point of drinking wine. You know, like showing through. Still, I've got to work past that a little bit. Um, but this wine was originally fifty three twenty nine, which is actually two dollars and roughly seventy five cents off of the the listing price on the website. Um, okay. So the you know the sales sticker says you save twenty three thirty two, which you know I don't think you save anything when you buy something on sale because that's the price. Right, um, right. Unless you stocked it for nine years and finally it went on sale, but I don't, I don't think your ac- the economic value actually works up to your time. Um, right. Right. But yeah, it, it, again, I I think we I think we did something with noir in it. If we didn't do a noir um, previously, it is clearly a fifty dollar bottle of wine in the complexity of the flavor. Okay. But like, I don't like freak show the way you do. Okay. But I appreciate the difference in freak show compared to other caps. Got it. But there were several caps that we had where I was like, if you're gonna have a red wine. You're going for the classic red wine, this um, heavy, heavy acidity, um, those sort of things. Like where, like you were saying, with balancing with the fat, um, right. balancing with like a red meat, and, and something where, like, if you're having a really dark green vegetable oh, yeah, that's cooked, that. you know, like that that or it's not as bright. Like you have some of the wilt and the heat. Like that, a cab would really go with. Like for at least for this experience of Queen and Noir, I would prefer the cab. Now, like okay, interesting. Like I've said previously, and I, I think I've spoiled our, myself personally. The Pina, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon Blanc that we had um, was so unique, different. Was such a great experience. And ninety-one dollar bottle of wine. I would hope so. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah. One of the best. One of the best wines I think I've ever had. Probably the best wine to, I've ever had. Yeah, and that, it was it was great. Yeah. To be honest, that's the best bottle of wine I've ever had. And and not just from like I have a better appreciation for cabs. Right. Like it was so unique. And and that's kind of the problem I have with measuring a lot of red wines where I'm not it's not a ten dollar price point. Right, right. This was a thirty dollar bottle of wine. It's a fifty five dollar bottle of wine normally. $55, you spent too much, in my opinion. Yeah. But I don't know if I'm not hitting the complexity notes the right way, because as I went through it, I was like, no, this is really good. So what I'm hoping to do, and this is how I'm hoping to do things going forward. Right. I'm hoping on next Friday to finish this bottle of wine and write my review then. Okay. 
and then hopefully, you know, open the next bottle because I've got some interesting, you know, tricks up my sleeve, let's say, for the other things I've picked. Right. And kind of see from there. So hopefully, you know, we'll be better about writing reviews and those sort of things because one of the problems we had, and, you know, I think this is from the nature of the way I proposed the show and then neither of us really thought about it, we finish the bottle of wine yeah. while we're talking about it. Right. And the only thing we have reference back to is this. Like, sure. you can't take complex notes. You can't, you know, when you when you read a bottle of wine review, you don't want somebody going like, I didn't taste nothing. My palate is weak. Right. Like, my palate is weak. <laughs> right. But, you know, like, reading your review of Freak Show, like, you talk about the Freak Show. And I, reading my first review, we, we bring... The, more of the anarchy element to it. Sure. It, yeah. And that's got to be in more in the wine when you're trying to re- write back and go like, what did this line taste like last week? Because I, you know, I spent 45 plus hours at work the next seven days, six, five days, whatever it is. Right. Like, I can't think about a wine that I, I can't get again without going and buying again. And now I have the entire bottle again. So I think this will help us review wines better because we can try them over multiple sittings. And we can kind of see that. So my tentative, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you can get it for thirty bucks, give it a shot. Unless you hate Pinot Noir, then don't don't bother because I don't know how right. it ranks. It, like so, yeah. but um, so tasting anarchy. We, we've got we've got Kroger out here, so maybe I'll look at, I'll look that one up. Well, and that's the thing is, I think I think if Kroger is doing the sale on the wine, it may be a really great time to go in because they may just have a bunch of different stuff. Sure. Because I oh, think yeah. I, like I want to kind of go out to the. The Kroger you went to locally, which was a marketplace as well, so it has a lot large line selection, and see yeah. if they just have different stuff. Right. Because I think it's just what the the store couldn't get rid of. Sure. I mean, like I'm sure company has a you know X number of SKUs. Fine. So but here here they have like kind of an interesting thing is there's Kroger mm-hmm. and there's Kroger Deli and there's Ooh. Kroger Market. Ooh. Yeah. So like. We go to the Kroger Deli here mm-hmm. for groceries, although we, we ordered from Amazon Fresh last time, which is, I guess, Whole Foods. Um, but like we've been, we, the first week we went there when we went grocery shopping, we went to Kroger Deli. The deli is, or no, no, I'm sorry, we went to Kroger Fresh, which had a really large produce section, but not a huge deli section. But then there's a Kroger Deli that's also not too far away that's got a gigantic deli section, but not a huge produce or regular stuff section it's, it's, it's very interesting the way it's laid out here well i'm, I'm disappointed because i would like both of those things <laughs> yeah yeah well and they have regular kroger the regular kroger is like kroger in virginia mm-hmm. but like they haven't got the kroger market that like virginia has where it's a huge produce section and a huge jelly section well and that's the thing is like i don't think kroger market has that huge of a produce section and then i go into regular oh. kroger and i'm like this has got awful like, oh, interesting. Okay. And that's the thing is, like, I remember what it was like going into, for three months, into Super FF, FFM International Asian Grocery Store in Stockton. Right. They right. had the largest, like, there's a butcher here where I bought the pig for the wedding. Right. They outdid them. And this was just a wow. cash-only grocery store. And they wow. did dip it. They didn't do credit, but they did debit. They had more fresh vegetables. They had more meat selection. And granted, it's California. Like That's true. Yeah. You really can't. But like Texas grows a bunch of stuff too. Sure. But so Actually, does, I'll tell you, I'll, so I'll does Virginia. Everybody like a pointer or whatever is that 
like I didn't really expect things to be like that as far as produce goes like that much better in Texas but like Texas purple onions that are organic super good yeah and uh, Victoria, you know, picked out some purple onions here, and, like, we've been eating this purple onion because I made a bunch of, like, paleo, or, well, it was a keto, keto uh, heroes, uh, or gyros, or whatever you call them. And these purple onions are, they're a little bit aggressive, but they're, like, just really flavorful, really yeah. great purple onions. It's such a strange thing to be, like, this is the best thing that Texas produces. But so far, like, other than this, like, really good barbecue, which is all Texas beef, um, the, these onions were like surprisingly delicious. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is Virginia grows amazing produce as well. Sure. Oh, the absolutely. Problem, the problem is on Hampton Roads, you don't get it. Right. Because it's so right. big, like it just you can't produce enough. Yeah. But either way, so tastinganarchy.com, tastinganarchy on Twitter. Knock down windows and tan down door. Drinking half gowns and calling for more. Drinking wines, for you to drink wine. Mop, mop. Wines, for you to drink wine. Mop, mop. Wines, for you to drink wine. Mop, mop. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine's for you to drink wine. Wine's for you to drink wine. Wine's for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Horton sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willie's Den. He wasn't selling but American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for you to drink wine. Bop, bop. Wine for you to drink wine. Bop, bop. Wine for you to drink wine. Bop, bop. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel. Have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Somebody's fifth and somebody's fourth. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine for you to drink wine. Bop, bop. Wine for you to drink wine.